North Organic CBD is a new sponsor of Holding Court. I love their CBD gummies. They come in two delicious flavors, strawberry lemonade and green apple. I've had them both, both amazing. One a day and you're totally okay. I like to stay active. I like to keep playing tennis. I like to get in the gym. That's why I love North Organic CBD. Their products are made in the USA. They're high quality. They're specially formulated, broad spectrum, organic CBD products for everyday adventurers. Don't forget about the very popular CBD salve from North Organics. Immediate relief of any physical pain. I use it daily for my sore shoulders, sore knees, hips, you name it. It works wonders. Go to NorthOrganicCBD.com and enter Patrick20, that's Patrick20, for 20% off your order. Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. Hello. It is time yet again, everyone, for Holding Court. It has been a while, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. On this Friday, the 16th of September, yes, I know I've been on a bit of a podcast sabbatical, but I think you know why. A lot going on this summer, particularly, well, I mean, you don't know about the family, but I had a lot of family stuff, some great trips this summer with the family. So went on a little bit of a hiatus there. Then, of course, the U.S. Open, which uh, we could do podcasts on what we saw there for the next couple of months. And maybe we will do that. Uh, But right now, we're going to focus for the next few minutes on Mr. Roger Federer. And by the way, do not take this, please, as a slight on Serena Williams, because we will get uh, in due time to her and all that she has meant for tennis. I mean, I think we saw firsthand during the U.S. Open what not only she means to tennis, but what she means to the world in general, because uh, the Serena Open went on for the first five days and it was, it was something. It really was something. I mean, the amount of requests I got from not just uh, sports stations, obviously we covered it at ESPN, but news stations, radio shows that traditionally don't follow tennis uh, was through the roof. So that's part of the reason why I was not able to get to my own podcast uh, during the last couple of weeks because there was just so much going on. And by the end of the U.S. Open, quite frankly, I was fried, exhausted, uh, but not more exhausted than probably young Carlos Alcaraz was. And we could do a whole month of podcasts on him and on Tiafo and on Casper Ruud and on Sinner and Coco Goff uh, and Iga Sviantek, who wanted all the amazing stories that happened at the U.S. Open. But obviously, The story for today, which was just announced uh, in the last, well, a little over 24 hours ago, because I woke up and I saw something come across my uh, Twitter feed or Instagram. I'm not a big Instagram guy, as those of you know who follow me, uh, but I do do a lot on Twitter. And I saw the announcement. I didn't actually see the Federer announcement right away. I saw a reaction to it that the Labor Cup was going to be his last competitive event. Uh, So that 
I was like, what? Um, I mean, we knew that this was possible, right? But none of us knew for sure, other than Tony Godsick, his manager, who of course is married to Mary Jo Fernandez, but Mary Jo will never divulge that, nor should she, uh, even if she knew. So I immediately texted uh, both Tony and Mary Jo, and Tony uh, said, go look at Instagram. So there, of course, I went and saw Roger's own announcement in his own words, uh, which was, I believe, over four and a half minutes long, which summarized uh, his decision. And of course, the reaction to it has been extraordinary all over the planet. Uh, And I was busy all day yesterday doing lots of interviews and requests, uh, getting through that. But the impact that uh, they both had on tennis is is remarkable. Uh, I think Serena, from the perspective of the United States, is her impact was massive. Uh, her impact, the impact worldwide, I believe, is more is 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 more Roger Federer just because of his popularity. Uh, all over the world, which is not in no way to say that Serena's not popular. She is, but he, she's not as popular as Roger Federer around the world. Arguably, she's more popular in the United States because she's American and because of her incredible story and her background and what she's done in speaking out on various issues over the course of her life. And I'm sure she'll continue to do that. But Federer's impact, I believe, is greater on a global scale. Uh, look, the, 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 the truth is it doesn't matter. They're two of the greatest. Serena's the greatest of all time. Uh, although I did have some people bring up the Steffi Graf uh, record. Uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, including my good buddy, Christopher Mad Dog Russo, who you know is uh, a big fan of tennis and brings a sort of a different angle than most of us tennis people. He's a big tennis fan, but he brings sort of the overall sports angle. So I think he makes some very good points about Steffi, who in in many ways was uh, equally as dominant as Serena, some years even more dominant. Of course, she won the Golden Slam where she won all four slams and then the Olympic gold the same year. Uh, she, she retired a lot earlier. She was 30 when she retired. So arguably if she had played longer, another 10 years, uh, you know, she, she could have and likely would have won more majors, but she didn't. Uh, and Serena had the long, to me, the longevity side. And I think Serena changed the game in a lot of ways, along with Venus, with the power game off the ground and the serve and the athleticism. And, 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 and similar to what Federer did. And, and Federer's was a little bit more subtle the way he changed the game. But this is how I've been describing it over the course of talking about Roger in the last 24, 36 hours, is he brought the classic style of tennis into the modern game. Now, those of you who are huge tennis fans uh, remember there was this sort of shift when Sampras retired, uh, when Agassi was done. You know, he had that great send-off at the U.S. Open, s- similar to what Serena had. Uh, and in 2003, you had Roddick, and you had Ferrero, and you had Lynn Leighton Hewitt was in the mix there, and Murat Safin and those guys, uh, right, you know, in those early 2000s, until Federer... Uh, started to take over, which essentially was 2004. And 2003 was the first year that Federer won Wimbledon. And I happened to be calling the match for ESPN. Now, we weren't 
televising the match live in those years it was being televised uh, by NBC on the weekends. Well, we were there covering it during the week, and NBC would come in and do the weekends uh, in those years, which is similar to how it used to work at the U.S. Open as well. So Cliff Drysdale and I uh, stayed around to call it in case it was a great match that ESPN wanted to have, you know, like an ESPN version of it with our announcers and our team producing it. So in, in, in those years, you remember ESPN classic was, was a pretty big part of ESPN's repertoire. You know, now you've got ESPN one, two, the app, the news, uh, so on and so forth. But ESPN classic, which still, I, I think it still exists. I should know this. I've been working for ESPN for over 25 years. Um, but in those years we used to, we used to record it. We'd call it live in case it was a classic. And, now, the match wasn't a classic. It was, I believe, it was straight sets. Federer beat Mark Philippoussis. But uh, when the match ended and Federer was in the process of getting his trophy, my man, Mr. Drysdale, Cliff Drysdale, had tears in his eyes as we were in the commentary booth. And I sort of looked at him. I was a young guy, which is, you know, uh, he was my mentor in a lot of ways in broadcasting. And I was kind of like looking, I'm like, Cliff, like, you, you know, you are right. What's the matter? And he, he was so moved by what he just saw by Roger Federer. I mean, the, his play, yes, his grace, his athleticism. But I also think that uh, Cliff knew, he knew what we were seeing before, you know, a lot, before, certainly before I did. I mean, you watch him and you think, okay, this guy's going to be awesome, Roger Federer. Um, but the emotion that Federer was able to bring to people uh, over the course of his career, which is what I think separates him on a popularity level. Of course, you've now got Novak and Rafa with more majors than him, and they both have winning records against Roger over time. And they, you know, essentially caught up to him. And then in uh, the, the, the race for the most majors and the quote unquote goat, the greatest of all time, uh, I believe both of them have passed Roger uh, just because you got to go, you got to go partly by the numbers. That's just what it is. And that's what it's turned into uh, in the last, you know, 25 years in sports in general. Right. But Roger moved people in a way that I don't think anybody have anyone that I've ever seen. Okay. In my lifetime, you maybe go back if you're an older person, older than me and to the days of, you know, I, I saw labor a little bit. Uh, I was a little kid you know, play, and obviously I've seen videos, but never saw him play live, nor did I see some of the other greats like Lou Hode or, you know, Pancho Gonzalez or Tilden or Budge. Um, but Federer had a, had a way to make people, I don't know, feel that they were part of something and they were watching something magical, uh, which they were. Now, from a tennis standpoint, let me get to the, the, the bringing the classic game back into... Uh, the modern game, you know, the at that time, as I was mentioning earlier, the players were sort of bludgeoning the ball. You know, you had guys, you know, Sampras at the end of his career. I mean, he was obviously a great shot maker too, but on grass at Wimbledon, it was getting boring. As Sampras, Ivanisevic, Krychek, guys like that, Filipusis. And that was part of the reason Wimbledon changed the grass because they didn't want that type of game to dominate. And at those, in that time, we were thinking, God, this may just be a, serving game or then a serve plus one game, you know, where you serve pound a ball points over. Then you got some of the counter punchers 
like, as I said, Ferrero, you know, Moya, Hewitt, who got to number one. Safin was more the big hitter, bludgeoner, similar to Roddick. But nobody had sort of the elegance until Federer came along. And now, because the elegance was was being pushed out. Like, it, you thought at that point there's no way that players that play with finesse, a certain style, slice, can survive. So everybody started, you know, the kids coming up and the players started playing just, you know, I'm just going to go big. Go big or go home or else just counterpunch. And all of a sudden Federer came along and this guy could do it all. He literally was a throwback type of player playing the modern game. So he had the acceleration with the forehand. He had the incredible racket speed. Uh, and then he had this phenomenal movement, right, and grace about him uh, on the court where he could explode and you, and you didn't even see it. It looked like he was in slow motion. And I believe that that, you know, is what interested people that were just casual fans and, and us tennis people as well. And it also started the evolution of what we saw then this year at the U.S. Open. You know, guys playing this this aggressive, physical, athletic type of game, like, you know, I got to go to the Alcaraz center match, but also slicing, coming to the net like Alcaraz does all the time, drop shotting, taking the ball on the rise early, angle volleys. Um, And to me, that was not only the style of play that we saw at the U.S. Open and the level of play, but also the joy that these young players are bringing to the table now. Alcaraz, you know, going flat on his stomach after that, that one point, I think it was against Tiafo, where the match was still very much in doubt and just had this big, huge smile on his face, just loving it. Tiafo loving it uh, with the crowd, but, but competing their butts off at the same time. You know, not doing like what Kyrgios used to do, which was just... F around out there. I know it's a podcast and I can say what I want, but I'm not, I don't need to say that. Just screw around and not care about winning or losing. These guys actually care, yet they're still able to do it with a smile and this competitiveness. And luckily, you know, Kyrgios is getting closer to that. He's, we saw some, some flashes of that this last couple of months. But these guys just have it in their heart and soul. You know, Tiafo, Sinner, Alcaraz, I mean, Rude's not as demonstrative as as other guys, but great kid. I should say kid, young man, and love how he handled the the trophy ceremony when he uh, uh, remembered 9-11, was the first person up there to do that. That was just class all the way. And by the way, you've got to continue with Fit Biomics with Nella. I've been taking it all summer. It is absolutely amazing. Okay. And I want you to go to the website, fitbiomics.com. And I want you to put in the code for Nella PMAC25, P-M-A-C-25, and get your discount. Because I know there was a time this summer when it wasn't in stock, but it's back. That's because everybody loves it. So keep it going. I've been taking it for the last few months feeling amazing. Still got to work on my sugar intake. Cut that down. I'm going to get there. But Nella, the product, is next level. So again, use the code PMAC25 
and you will be locked in. So this is the Roger Federer effect, everybody. The Roger Federer impact is these guys, these kids grew up idolizing him and not only watching his game and trying to figure out how can I play more like that? Nobody's ever going to play exactly like Federer probably ever again. And so the impact that he's had on the game is monumental on every level. Uh, There's no Djokovic winning 21 majors, I believe, without Federer. There's no Nadal winning 22 majors. And by the way, both of them can win more. I would still say Djokovic has the better chance to win even more if he you know, can play. There, speaking of a podcast, there's another podcast. We could get into that. It sounds like he's going to be able to play Australia, by the way. Uh, Rafa, I believe this will impact Rafa, the decision of Federer, more than Djokovic because I think Nadal sees himself connected to Federer in a different way than Djokovic does. You know, Djokovic is sort of, for better or worse, he's kind of off on his own, just in his own world. And he's, and I think he's more inspired to keep playing against these younger guys. I'm not sure Rafa is in the same way, even though he obviously had a phenomenal year. Um, but even by his own post uh, that he put out on Instagram or Twitter or wherever it was, his post about Roger, to me, kind of sounds like, you know, he may be, he's also beat up a little bit more physically than Djokovic is. But I think Federer raised a bar for those guys because he was ahead. Nadal, Rafa caught up to him. Djokovic was in behind the both of them. They had to keep evolving as players and also as human beings because they got so, so popular and, and breaking so many records. So giving speeches, talking to the press, being recognizable everywhere you go. That's, that's a huge life changer for people and for these players. And some of them, you know, handle it incredibly well, like Federer. I told this story a couple of times in some of my interviews, and I think it's worth repeating for those of you who haven't heard it. Uh, when I was working as a courtside reporter in my early years Uh, relatively early years in broadcasting. I obviously worked full-time for ESPN for a long time. And then I would do some part-time stuff for CBS when they were uh, televising the U.S. Open. And they had the final one year of the Masters event in Cincinnati. And that year, uh, I was going to say it's early to mid two. It was right in those years when when Roger was totally dominated. I I could look it up, but uh, I'm not going to because I'm just on a roll here. It was Federer beat James Blake in the final. And he just destroyed him. It took like 50 minutes. It was 6-1, 6-3, something like that. Uh, and Roger just played, went right through him. And uh, I had to go do the interview. So I went down to the court. I was standing by courtside. And they were saying to me, the producers of CBS, listen, you know, we've got a two-hour show here. Uh, we got a lot of time to fill. So could you ask Roger a few extra questions? So I sit down next to Roger on his bench. You know, everybody's crowd is cheering, going crazy. They're setting up this uh, for the on-court uh, ceremony for the trophy. And I just sit down very quietly next to him. I say, hey, listen, well done, Roger. Congratulations. Um, is it okay if I ask you just a few more questions than normal? Cause we got some time to kill. Cause you, you won the match so quick. Oh, no problem. You know, whatever you need, no problem. And then he turns to me out of nowhere and he says, you know, I ball boyed for you. 
I, I, I'm like, what? I'm like, you ball boyed for me? He says, yeah, in Basel. And then I'm like, oh yeah, Basel was your, is your hometown. I didn't, maybe somewhere I real I knew that he had been a ball boy, but it, it never connected to me. So I said, you're kidding me. Because yeah, when the, uh, you played the final against Ferrer, I played the final in Basel. That was one of my best results in my career, getting to the final of any tournament. Uh, losing in those years, they played best of five. I lost in four sets to Wayne Ferrer, who was a far better player than me. Not far, he's better. So uh, I said, well, you must have, I jokingly said to Roger, uh, you must have been rooting for me, right? And he says, no, actually, no. He gave me that little sheepish grin. And he said, I was rooting for Wayne. He said, because he's South African. My mom's South African. I said, oh, right, of course. But the, the point in me telling this story, first of all, it's fun. And there's video actually online of, of, of Federer as a ball boy running, pick up a ball. Uh, Louis Gatto, who's a, a reporter I follow on Twitter, posted the video and I'm the player in the video. I'm like walking to the sideline to get on the changeover. And it's like a 12 second video. And I, my back is to you and you see Roger scampering to get the ball. And he's got that look, you know, the, the, the famous look just so long and lean and loose. And I'm like, Holy shit. And I sit down uh, uh, on the bench and, I kind of freezed it on my video. So I have the picture where like I'm sitting there with a towel and there's Roger Federer, like 13 or 14 standing in front of me. But the fact that this guy who just, you know, won a huge tournament, which, you know, you could, well, for him, it's not huge. It's not a major. It's still, it was a big tournament. And, and, and trust me when I tell you for many years, all three of those guys treated those masters events pretty much like they were majors and, you know, they, for, I mean, they've dominated the majors now forever, uh, but they dominated those events for a long, long time as well. All the masters events that he had the wherewithal to kind of make it, you know, a little bit about me and acknowledge me in a way that was so cool. And that's why Federer is Federer of people. That's why he's the most beloved in my view, athlete on the planet at the moment. Okay, I mean, Tom Brady's big, but I mean, nobody knows who Tom Brady is in most of Europe. Well, maybe they know him a little bit, but you catch my drift. LeBron James, is he's worldwide. You know, golfers like Tiger in his, in his, in his prime. Uh, I would argue that tennis is even bigger globally than, than golf. Now, of course, you've got soccer, which is the biggest. So, you know, maybe uh, Messi, the soccer player, is, is maybe, you know, he's more recognizable Ronaldo and his prime and so on uh, all over the world in soccer countries, which are most of the countries in Europe and in South America and so on. But Federer is right up there. Okay. And, and, and again, part of it is because of his, he was a maestro on the court and what he brought to the court as a winner, but it was the elegance that he brought to the game that attracted so many people and the class, you know, on the court and off the court and that personal touch he could add to people like me or, you know, anybody in the tennis world, he treated everybody like that, you know, players, he followed tennis all the time, like the challenger tour. He, you know, he had his buddies from Switzerland that I remember played on the Swiss team with him that were 
uh, you know, journeyman type player. I'm not even talking about Stan Wawrinka. I'm talking about guys that were, you know, George Bastel, who's I remember the last guy to beat Sampras at Wimbledon, but he was <clears throat> like a career challenger player. But guys like that, maybe a little better than that, but guys like that, um, you know, he followed them. And, he be- and, and, and this is the reason, this is what I'm going to finish this episode on, because again, we could go, and we probably will. We'll continue. We'll go back to Serena, and we'll talk about the U.S. Open as well, because that was electrifying, okay, what we saw at the U.S. Open. Feder got it. He just, and he loves tennis. He's passion for playing. You know, some people love going out there and being on the big stage. Some people love winning. Some people love competing, just competing, whatever it is. Roger Federer liked all of those things, but what he loved more than anything was the game. Just the game of tennis, playing the game, being around the game, being around other people that enjoy the game. And because of all that, he's had more impact on the sport of tennis than any player ever. And that's how I'm going to end it today. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. 